Soy Power Podcast is a free podcast made possible by the support of our awesome Patreon sponsors. Head to toypowerpodcast.com and see how you can help. My name's Darren. Welcome to Toy Power episode number one one three. With me today is Trent. Hello. Ben. G'day, g'day. And Frank. Wahoy hoy. Today I'm geeking out on our very special guest, owner of Super Seven Toy Company, Brian Flynn. Hey everybody. How you doing? We are very good, sir. And and how are you? I'm enjoying a lovely Friday afternoon. Since I am an American, I've already had pizza today. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. That is, uh, we're, we're, we're just having our breakfast, incidentally, but uh, pizza is generally frowned upon as a breakfast food. But unless, we, we have done it, haven't we? Unless, it, unless it's cold pizza yeah. from the fridge the next day, like yes. then it's then pizza's okay. And sometimes, weirdly enough, it tastes better than it did. Like, <laughs> yeah, it certainly right? does. <laughs> cold pizza is actually very topical with some of the things we're going to get in, into. It will be. May, may, maybe your sculptors down there are going to be sculpting some miniature pizzas in future. Ooh. There's probably pizza in their future, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as we do here on Toy Power, when we have a special guest, we like to get a bit of a feel for um, your sort of toy history, I guess. So we've got a couple of standard questions we ask just for listeners who don't know who you are, just to sort of get a bit of a, an idea. So first question we've got here is, as a 10-year-old, as a 10-year-old Brian Flynn, what was your favorite movie? Uh, I was still, uh, it was basically two movies. It was Star Wars and Tron. Nice. nice. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. yeah. You know, the guy, Flynn is the lead guy in Tron. Like, he <laughs> did all the designs. I mean, it was pretty much meant to be. Nice. Excellent. And this is uh, original Star Wars or Empire or just, just all of the original trilogy? Original Star Wars. I'm still one of those guys that's like, original Star Wars is the best. Yep. Only because that's the one I saw the first. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So stick, sticking with a 10-year-old, if you as a 10-year-old, Brian Flynn, what was in your toy box as a 10-year-old? What was your favorite toy? Um, at 10, I was just, my dad was in the military, and so we had been stationed in Germany, and I was, we had, were just moving back to the States. I mean, the reality is, uh, while we were stationed, we were stationed at an Air Force base in Bitburg, Germany, and the toy section at that base was only maybe like a, 10 foot square that had everything for everybody. So we didn't have lots of stuff, but what I had was, it was Star Wars, because that was the pervasive yeah. thing. So I, when we came back, the, one of the first things we did when we landed is my parents, after we were there, we landed, they took me to a toy store, and I had never been to a real toy store, like a Toys R Us style toy store, mm-hmm. which was at that time called Jeffrey's Toy World. Yep. And they pulled up into this parking lot at night, and I remember the lights in the parking lot and everything. You know, and it looks like it's a car dealership. I'm like, where are we? They're like, we're at the toy store. I'm like, that's not a toy store. And then they walk me in, and it's this palatial thing with lines forever. And we walk to, like, the action figure section. I turn the corner, and it is this row of Star Wars figures that never ends. And I was just floored. And they were all Bespin Leia's. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
Just doing? got there too late. <laughs> all the, all the popular bad. stuff was gone. Was so I'd never seen anything like it. <laughs> I had never seen commercials because on the Air Force Base, you, they played TV, but when it would go to commercial break, they just inserted Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, Marines. Of course, yeah. So I came back and they turned on TV, and I'm like, what are these wonderful commercials? <laughs> There's a rabbit that will feed you cereal. <laughs> I just sat and watched commercials for like days. <laughs> Outstanding. The, the production values of some of those old commercials are wonderful, and, and how they uh, would light them and, and act scenes out with the toys. I remember, you know, in a lot of the Mattel ones were, were wonderful, but even Tyco with some of the dioramas they yes. created for their dino riders and they had motorized action features and they'd light it in such a way that it looked almost real you know yeah. the, the, the production qualities and effort they went into was quite superb I even think back to the, the diaclone yeah. ads you used to see yeah. because they were just had the, the little models in scale with you what we know as transformers now but and it was it must have been stop motion because they'd use the actual toys and explosions and smoke effects and oh glorious better than some of the animation that gets around today to be honest <laughs> yeah no it, it, but they also had a lot bigger budgets and yeah. uh, a lot less competition true true all right speaking of competition uh all four of us here at toy power we all love our ninja turtles and as fate would have it we all each have a different favorite so there's four turtles four of us and we each have our own favorite so our question to you then is brian which could determine who is your biggest fan in the room <laughs> Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? Casey Jones. Oh, yes! He's <laughs> done it! He's gone He's done diplomatic it. Nice and safe. Nice. Gungala, gungala. Yeah, so there you go. Good answer. Well done. That mask that he had, yep. the, the bat, I was just like, this is the coolest guy in here. <laughs> yep. yep. Well He's said. very cool. Amen to that. You know, and being a little bit older, when, by the time Turtles came out, mm. you know, it was like, it was just like he was just a little older, tougher, cooler, more badass guy in the turtles. So I was mm. like, all right, that that's my guy. Excellent. Yeah, nice. that makes sense. So moving on to the Masters of the Universe um, classics license. Uh, given that the 1987 film designs in the Collector's Choice line are so far, well, so far the ones that have been unveiled are designed by William Stout, does that mean characters designed by others are off the table, i.e. Skeletal's troops? For the most part, yes. Um, that, the the movie is a very, very difficult thing because the people that made the movie don't exist anymore, Canon Films. Yep, yep. There are, there are a host of issues with who owns what, not only within just Masters of the Universe, like, because then, because Mattel doesn't own Masters. Universal owns Masters. Mattel owns the rights to the toys of Masters, and then Mattel has certain rights to produce content, but it's actually owned by Universal Studios because Mattel sold it in the early 90s because they thought it wasn't gonna ever be worth anything. And so Classic Media bought it, and Classic Media was bought by DreamWorks, which was then bought by Universal. Right. So. Already within Masters, you have two competing entities for what goes on with it. The movie is yet another thing. And then the people involved with the movie despise Mattel, would be a polite term for it. (laughs) And so you have to then go around and what, how we sort of worked through a lot of this was 
when they made the movie, they did not buy out the designs for all the costuming from William Stout. Mm. They only licensed the rights to his designs. And, uh, and be, well, secondly, and because we're not Mattel, those people were more prone or open to working with us on stuff around the movie. So then part of it was getting the rights from William Stout to the designs, then it was getting the rights to the character likenesses and, and everything, and working around all the other pieces to get the movie put together. But in terms of what you're talking about as a holistic sort of thing, we do not have the rights for the movie as a whole. But yes. we have the rights to, I think, the main, if, if I were to say the main pieces that people want, mm -hmm. we have that. Yeah, nice. Excellent. And there's some interesting images that have cropped up. Uh, notably, Shearer made an appearance, and I can't remember if it was William Stout or Ralph McQuarrie that did that original William concert. Stout it was William Stout that did, did Shearer. So, so things like, did the costume physically have to be made, or is it actually the, the drawn design that kind of gives you access? Um, it, it, would, it, it is... In the case of that, you know, he did the production design. So if we wanted to go back and make something that was the, you know, concept drawing of Shira from William Stout, as long as we had everybody along the way in line, we could do that. Yes. Okay. okay. Cool. Oh, that's great. Uh, can I just say, as a fan, um, a huge thank you and congratulations for navigating that minefield of uh, the the multiple licenses to bring us these yeah. these um, William Stout designed figures. They look sensational, and I. You know, we've been waiting since really since 1987 to see them in in um, plastic form. Yeah. So, so huge thank you and and congratulations for for navigating that minefield of you know so many competing interests. Yeah, it was you know there's a lot of stakeholders and it. it's been pretty funny because we thought going into it like oh man the classic guys are their brains are gonna melt when they see the, <laughs> the, the movie because that's what everybody talks about and of course the moment we announced it. Half those guys were like, "I don't want that." <laughs> well, yeah, I, I sort of we did an episode where I broke it down because I was reading a lot of the fan reaction to that, and I thought it was it was odd, particularly in the in the context of going back and looking some of those He-Man.org, you know, top fifty lists, oh, and, and really, you know, He-Man, Skeletor, um, they they all feature God Skeletor. God Skeletor or Golden Skeletor. They all featured really prominently in those in those polls. So it was a strange reaction. It certainly wasn't. The reaction in this room um, from us. I mean, yeah. we, we love those, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of our, our reactions to what you showed at New York a bit later on because it was quite quite outstanding from from what we saw. But yeah, yeah, you can probably never predict uh, how fans are going to react. I think it really just comes back down to at this point with that line, the fans are very focused on you know what they want to see in the line, which is why they care, which is mm -hmm. great. But they're very focused, and if you don't come out with the four that they were hoping that you were going to come out with, well, you're just screwing it all up. Yeah. <laughs> and it is like... hard. I can see in this era, you were 11 years in, what I consider to be you know, my next four that I would want might be totally different to what you know Trent or Ben or mm. you know or even Frank might think you know would be the next logical four. Yeah, you know, you know when thing, you're this like, far in, everyone's sort of on their own way as to who they think should come next. Yeah, it's just like everybody was clamoring and clamoring like, where's Shadow Weaver? Where's Shadow Weaver? Where's Shadow Weaver? And then we bring out Shadow Weaver and they're like, well, where's this person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, we're going to get there. Just <laughs> one burning bridge at a time. So looking looking at both the Mattel and Super 7 runs of Master Universe Classics, Collector's Choice, and Club Grayskull figures, which unmade characters do you want to get into the lines while we still have the license? Um, this... This is a tricky question, and this is one where I looked at when you sent the questions earlier, I was like, this one's going to be a tricky one to answer. <laughs> I mean, obviously, stuff that we're working on, you know, we're trying to get those things out. Um, the, the real issue right now really more is now that they're going to make a Masters of the Universe movie is how long will they let me make things? <laughs> yeah. Mattel as a corporation, and this is not, this is not limited to Mattel. This is with many toy companies. If they have a media uh, play coming up, they operate under this assumption that they should have no toys in the market of any sort for at least a year leading up to the movie. That way, if, if you will, the plate is clean for them to come in. You create hype, I suppose, as well. You, know, you, you create a want. And yeah, need. an unmet need. Yeah. I am I from the school of thought, you know, I worked at Nike for a couple of years, which is the exact opposite. If you want to lead into a movie a year from now, you need to start seeding and building up now and get more and more things in the market so by the time you come out, everybody has shown up. It's a competing point of view. You either have the thing of like, we're going to invite people to the party and try to grow the party so that by the time we throw, kick it off, everybody's here, mm. versus the idea that we starve them so when we show up with the food, everybody rushes to the buffet. Yeah, uh, interesting. And so really right now is with the movie coming, uh, what we can and can't do is very, very in flux. Right. Yep. Hmm. Now understood. Something you can do and are doing is, and it's very exciting and is, is absolutely massive, is the Snake Mountain playset. Another example of where fans have probably been on you since you took over the license to get that one done. What's going on with Snake Mountain? Maybe a penny for every time you got that question, you'd be uh, quite quite wealthy. Um, uh, I'd have at least a couple thousand pennies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most, most um, definitely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Snake Mountain will go up for pre-order when it's, it's it's sort of a half pre-order, half Kickstarter, all at the same time yep. in May, and it'll be available for the month of May. Uh, it's going to be six hundred dollars, which is expensive, but the playset is also the size of a small home, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll have a six-month payment plan, so people can pay a hundred dollars a month for six months. Uh, so they don't have to do it all at once if they want, but you know, it's that same thing of like, why, why don't we make this thing? Yeah. Why can't we make this thing? But it does, it's also one of those things where to try to undertake actually making it without really having guaranteed numbers on sales would be next to impossible. Mm. It's so big and it's so expensive to produce that, uh, it, it could li literally, if we were trying to do it a different way, it could, it could bankrupt the company. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. yeah. Now the, the Kickstarter that you've mentioned, I mean, that makes a lot of sense in today's market. Um, I'm just thinking, turning my mind to what, um, we got from Hasbro in the sail barge, the Katana, um, Jabber's sail barge and, and, you know, for a mainstream big mass market toy company to basically say, look, 
we want to do this big item, but it is the biggest Star Wars item we've ever made. Let's have a look into crowdfunding as an option. So it makes sense as the way to approach something of this size. Can I just yeah, make one prediction, Brian? Once it goes on sale, half the fan base will be saying, why didn't you make the fright zone? <laughs> Uh, we we already have had a lot of people ask us when Fright Zone is coming, and it's like, <laughs> I don't even have Snake Mountain. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's not like you know, us fans. It's, same, it's no different than you know when we show up, you know, everything at Toy Fair, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Everybody was like, "This is awesome! What's next?" Yeah. I'm like, I just showed you 20 <laughs> figures you've never seen before. Like, never can we get to this first, please. Never enough for some people. Yeah, my mum used to say when I was a kid, the more you, uh, the more you get, the more you want, <laughs> and it's something you say about most of the fan base, probably. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, it, but at the same time, they're excited, which is great. I just have to kind of also at a certain point going, I need you to focus on what we have right now. Yeah. And then once we get through what we have right now, we can worry about what's next. But if we don't get through this, there won't be a what's next. <laughs> Actually, that's a that's a good segue there. Speaking of what's next, um. I am one of the uh, larger Ninja Turtles fans you will ever see, so I was very excited to see uh, at New York Toy Fair the, and I know it was just a little piece of cardboard that just had a logo on it, but um, I have been saying to these boys for ages, going, do you know what, we need to do, there needs to be a Turtles Classics line, and, and, and I'm sold, and you brought that dream to life. Um, of course, being just a little piece of cardboard, there's a whole lot of questions that spring up from that. One of which in particular, we've seen lots of companies at the moment, everyone from from NECA and, and obviously Playmates and Mondo and all sorts having different parts of the Ninja Turtles license. So we just wanted to sort of get a feel for what you are licensed to do. In terms, we know they're going to be classic sort of scaled, but uh, is there any restrictions on that or any anything you have to work with uh you know the well, it'd be Nickelodeon. Sorry, who are the owners of the of the the property? Well, I mean, with the first off, sort of in in the, sort of the bigger question, you know, what we have a license to is what they are now calling classic turtles. Mm -hmm. We are not dealing with modern turtles, uh, so we're definitely dealing with you know the first generation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is basically the cartoon um, and the toys. The uh, yeah, what was done in, with by playmates and everything else like that. Uh, obviously, we were not aware that NECA was going forward with their line, yeah. and NECA was not aware that we had been given the license. But you know, Randy at NECA is a really good friend of mine, and they make amazing, amazing products. So we just sat down and talked about what each of us had planned to do, and found you know, are different ways to go about what we're doing. And then they're definitely doing a little bit different approach and they're going to be selling their stuff, you know, basically, uh, I think they've already announced their target. Yes, yes. they have, yep. Yeah. yeah, so I, I'm like, what's real, what's, what can I talk about? But they've announced <laughs> their target thing, you know, and they're, and they're trying to basically say like, okay, Playmates is in the toy aisle. NECA is very firmly at sort of a, a much more mass level play to the adult collector in the DVD section. Um, and then where we're at is sort of where is that really sort of higher end deluxe figure, not unlike what we have been making for Masters of the Universe. That, And then we've got a slightly different point of view on 
how and what those figures will be that I think we'll be showing people come San Diego Comic-Con. And then I think it'll be a little bit more like, okay, this is how, this is what these guys are doing, this is what these guys are doing, and I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be fairly obvious to everybody at that point. Well, that's wonderful. Wonderful that you've had those conversations with Randy um, and sort of just worked it out between you because that, I mean, they're producing some absolutely amazing figures and, and those, I mean, those movie turtles they did are just, you know, they, they obviously had the license to do the one quarter scale and they've been very carefully edging their way to try to get into that six, seven inch scale and, and they look absolutely sensational. But uh, imagining what you guys are going to do in that classics, you know, style is, is going to be a must have. Um, so yeah, lovely to see them working together to get, to get as much product out as possible. Yeah, and we want nothing but the best for both you and and NECA in, in terms of this license. Yeah, and, and for us, we don't look at it, you know, like I said, there's there's you know, there's the big toy companies, there's the Hasbro's, the Mattel's, the Spin Masters, and now what you could say is the Funko probably. You know, all these other guys, the whether it's us, whether it's NECA, which is also now Kid Robot, whether it's Mezco, whatever, it's like we're all friends. It's not like we're trying to fight with each other about this stuff. <laughs> like we're all in the same club trying to do cool stuff. And it's like, Oh man, look what that's cool. Like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And we try to sort of find ways that, you know, same thing. If something comes up that we're both thinking of, then we figure out how to work that out. But for the most part, we've all got sort of our own identity and what we're doing. Like we will never make like a seven inch highly detailed alien because Randy has that on lock. Yeah, yeah. Like NECA's got that so dialed. Like, what could we possibly bring to that party? Why would we even try to do that? Yeah. So for us, with the turtles thing as well, they had done some turtles in the past. They were show exclusive. They were only at cons, and they didn't. And when they came to us with this much larger process that we're working with them on, you know, we were like, okay, well, they're not playing in this space right now. Uh, we were not aware that they had moved into a bigger space but we've worked it out and i'm not terribly worried about it awesome cool very cool okay moving over to toxic crusaders so at the new york toy fair of 2019 you revealed the awesome prototype of toxie from toxic crusaders in a classics style have you guys from super 7 considered including wave two of the 90s unproduced figures in their toxic crusaders uh super 7 line we're actually talking about doing quite a lot of stuff with Toxic Yay. Crusaders. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Know, it, it's one of those things like when we did the Toxic Avenger figure, yep. you know, uh, we really didn't expect it to be very popular. You know, it, it sounds silly, but it's like we, we wanted to make it because it was kind of, it was funny, sort of this cult movie, you know, like we think it's kind of a screwed up thing to make. <laughs> and then once we, re you know, to me as an adult for the Toxic Crusaders, like I bought the Toxic Crusader toys when I was 19. Nice. Like, yeah. I went to KB Toys and saw them on the shelf and I was like, these are the most jacked up toys <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. These are so cool. Yeah. The, the, the packaging and the color schemes are the most uh, eye-catching toys I think some ever made almost. Exactly. And, and really at that run right then in the early 90s, what was being made as mainstream toys when you look back at it is completely bizarre. The fact that they were green lighting 
you know, toxic crusaders. Let's make Beetlejuice figures where you squeeze the leg and it turns into a head on a roach. <laughs> Let's, you know, you know, swap thing. That's a that sounds like a great kids cartoon. Yep. You're like, I I don't know what was going on, but everybody was making the most screwed up toys ever, and they're amazing. I agree. So when we did that, we were like, oh, it would be funny to make a repaint of the Toxic Avenger like the Toxic Crusader. And when we made that repaint, it outsold the Toxic Avenger. And we're like, oh, wait, you know, do more people care? I thought I was the only person that thought the Toxic <laughs> Crusader's line was cool. And I think what it comes back down to is that for so many people, it wasn't even so much that they cared about the cartoon. They just loved the toys. Yeah. Agreed. And they were done at a time when, and I think Turtles has a lot to not answer for but it's probably the catalyst for a lot of these crazy ips coming out i mean who would have thought making the toxic avenger i mean that film with all its ultra violence and and really visceral violence um to make that into a kid's show i mean that's quite a, a strange leap like you mentioned you know swamp thing there was robocop was being done in in action figures uh, alien alien uh, alien figures and predators there, that, that yep. early 90s i think turtle sort of with its concept and taking a dark gritty independent comic and turning that into a kids friendly people thought how can i take my ip and, and make something out of that and but those figures are so similar i mean they're sculpted by playmates very similar in scale and aesthetic to the ninja turtles that a lot of us here that are were ninja turtles fans got into that line because of i guess the similarities and just how striking they were well no that was a you know playmates specifically tried to take uh, toxic Crusaders and make that the next evolution. It didn't work, but they tried to make that the next evolution. Um, interestingly enough, like on the packaging right now, we're actually working with the guy who did the original packaging for the Toxic Crusaders line in the 90s. And then some other toxic stuff that we're working on, we're actually working with the guy that sculpted all the original Toxic Crusader figures. Oh, wow. that is wicked. Now, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah He that... literally lives like an hour away from here, which oh. is the nuttiest thing ever. That's wonderful. You hear a lot of these stories now where you know people are coming back and working on these lines second time around, and that, that is wonderful to reach out to those people and, and get them involved. And can I just say, just while we're talking packaging, our um, Shearer figures. In incidentally, we all ordered the uh, Shearer Catra two-pack based on the new DreamWorks animation. They've arrived here in Australia. It took a while, but they they have made it. And I I was sort of the uh, distributor to the to the guys here at Toy Power, and the packaging on those is absolutely first rate. It is. I know. And I know you've got a graphic design background, and um, but that is top quality stuff that you are producing. So so congratulations on that, and looking forward to seeing how the the packaging comes out on some of your future product and they were packed beautifully as well in terms of how they oh they ship they ship absolutely absolutely mint with those little square sort of bits of cardboard holding it all together they they absolutely came out perfectly oh good good that's that's another thing like you know they asked us to work on on those figures for the launch like that's all we get to do mattel will be doing the figures for the line that's the only part we get to do from that thing but it was the same thing like I showed the show to my my daughters, and they binge watched it like mm. two or three times in a row. And I was like, "That's the whole point. Yeah. Like, we gotta make these toys, yeah. and we gotta make them as best we can." Um, 
I will be very interested. And this sounds this sounds negative. It's not supposed to. I will be very interested to see what the Mattel stuff looks like. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it's going to be hard to stand up to to the quality of what you guys have put out. But let's hope they do get it's to something. Of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, that they did look absolutely uh, sensational. I, I bought two sets myself. One I was going to open, but the packaging was so good. I'm like, I've almost got to keep both of these sets <laughs> sealed up. <laughs> um, interestingly, we'll move on to a bit of fan engagement. And I've been sort of following Super 7 since the Masters acquisition, but I know obviously you guys have been around for a lot longer than that. And you've really you know, carved out a, a very important niche in the, um, in the, in the toy space and, and putting out some really interesting stuff. Um, since since I've been following you, you've done from what I've seen. My perspective is, is really following, you know, fans. You know, obviously you're at the cons, you're talking to fans, you're taking requests, you're coming on podcasts like ours. Um, but you know, the track record of probably when you said you're going to do a vintage, you know, continue maybe the '87 vintage Master of the Universe line. Everyone got in your ear about Hero and Eldor, and sure enough, you know, you've manufactured those. They're coming. Snake Mountain, you know, penny thousands of thousands of pennies that you've got for that. <laughs> the Master of the Universe movie figures. So you, you know, you've got, and there's probably countless other examples where you've taken on board and 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 made these things actually happen. This this is a tricky one that the sort of fan requests, and I'd be interested to sort of understand your philosophy around, you know, how you how you take on fan requests, information, digest that, and then work out what you're going to do with that with that. Um, with those sort of comments i think the first thing with all of this is obviously pretty much everybody here we're collectors already mm. so we have sort of our own internal bearing as a collector of like what do i want to make and that's usually where we start you know so you know with hero and eldor it wasn't just because the fans asked for it it was like yeah of course we're going to make hero and eldor but it's not as simple as just like okay cool here just go make it um and i think people will be very when Hero and Eldor show up, there's a booklet that comes with uh, Eldor that shows the evolution of how that character came to be. One of the things that we came across, we've talked about it a few times, is one, there was a, a designer at Mattel that passed away a number of years ago, and a friend of mine uh, managed to buy most of his estate from his family. And in there were all the concept drawings for Eldor. And wow. so it didn't start out the way the last figure ended. But that book that comes, so that figure actually comes with a book behind it. And the, instead of being a mini comic, it is a 16-page mini book about how all the sketches of how that character evolved from where it started to where it ended. It even has or one, one page the original schematic blueprints for how the scroll was going to function wow mm, that is awesome so there's a lot of that stuff where we come down and it's like we start with sort of what do we want to make but once we sort of get past that point the reality is as much like all of us when you get into the details on all these characters you can't know everything about every toy line ever mm. So when people start saying, hey, you messed up, or hey, you missed this, it's like, oh, okay, hey, well, let me let me take a look. Mm -hmm. Like, did we? Did we not? And, and the hard part is that you start to get down a road where it becomes an arbitrary decision, yep. where 50% of the people believe 
that this is the way it was supposed to be, and 50% of the people believe this is the way it was supposed to be, and you have to make make a call on mm. which way you think it's supposed to be or why. So the the good news is the reason that we get so much fan interaction like that is because people people give a shit. Mm. You know, they care about what the toy is. The hard part is when that focus becomes so myopic that they can't see that anything beyond their opinion is correct or incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's no sort of winning that battle. So I try not to fight that battle. I just try to uh, you know talk about the fact that if they're not enjoying this, then then there's probably a bigger issue. Like this should be fun. And yes, maybe I made, uh, we made a decision to make Triclops in the green that you didn't like, but that doesn't mean it should wreck your world. Yeah, no, (laughs) exactly right. It's perspective. You know, but the reason that they're pissed off about it is because they care. And sometimes they have a very valid reason for that. And sometimes you know, we're not perfect either, but it's it's one of those things where you we try to to walk the line as much as we can, and invariably, I think you're going to get people that believe that that's what we're trying to do, and then you have people that believe that we're trying to do the exact opposite. Mm. Yeah, we can't control that. And Brian, you did mention something there about the estate of the Mattel sculptor I, I and, and illustrator. I seem to recall... A conversation that you might have had where you uncovered some some sort of torso molds or some bucks from yeah. the original yeah. masters line and, and i think that was sort of when you just acquired the license you, you mentioned you had those has there been any progression on whether we might see those or they might be turned into something that might actually come out um into product I'm hoping that we will be able to make that stuff one day. I would say that that sort of falls right back into the same sort of conundrum that we're in right now with the movie. You know, uh, the the fact that the movie is going and has greenlit has sort of changed a lot of our future plans. To what extent is still a little undefined. Yeah. But we have some. There's an extra. There's some torsos there's an arm there's a few other pieces that have never been made that we uncovered we uncovered a bunch of uh lots in fact over 200 pages of designs around characters uh some of of which came out a lot of which didn't come out some of those that didn't come out for good reason (laughs) (laughs) some of those are actually pretty cool yeah you know the whole evolution of eldor as a character was in there and uh, something we've never talked about, but and is not in there, but there were I've actually got sketches for both Skeletor and um, the uh, the soldier of as five and a half inch Mattel figures that oh. we never never made. There were wow. sketches oh. movie Masters of the Universe figures in five and a half inch wow. that never made. That's all epic. Yeah, <laughs> there were a few Errol. You Mac- heard it first on Twitter <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. The, the Errol McCarthy um, illustrations, and I know he did a lot of the, the card back work, but there were a, there was a couple of images from the movie. I think one of Dolph, the Dolph He Man, and the Frank Langella Skeletor battling sort of on a New York si- skyline. Um, so that that that's interesting to hear that comment that that might have been a, a sort of future direction that they were exploring. That's that's, that's absolutely fascinating and um, Brian if, if 
sketches of more giants other than Titus and Megatolor. There's all sorts of stuff. That yeah yeah that's 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 very. And it's one of those things where it's like we're sitting on it, and I would love to do something with it, but and we have plans to do stuff with it, but I don't know where my plans are right now. Yeah, no, that's well, just wonderful to know that 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 material is there, maybe to be unearthed uh, one day if things if the stars aligned do you sort of know just on that um do you sort of know what the timeline's sort of looking like you, you mentioned the film's been green lit do you do you know if you've got like to the end of the year to the end of next year you know or is or is it all very much still currently in flux in that anything could change at any time from here on in uh, to to talk about it you know i'm like how do I talk about it but not talk about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Anything you, I think, anything I happen to ask um, that you can't talk about, we totally get that. No, it's more of a matter of like I think competing, into, you know, people like the movie people think it's happening a lot faster than the product people, but then the product people might have to, you know, everybody's playing cat and mouse and no one really knows. Like they announced the actor the other day. Yeah. Which is like, okay, but, you know, I don't know if that still means anything. So I, 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 don't, I don't know because I'm not there and I'm not involved in the movie. Yeah. Don't get heard. me wrong. I desperately want a film um, franchise for Master Universe. I've, I've wanted that forever. I want them bringing out films regularly, but I don't want them to rush it either. It's something that is so important. I want them to get it right. Yeah, I mean that—that's the whole thing. Like, we're happy to to work on what we can when we can, as it is appropriate. Uh, obviously, we're going to try our best to make it as appropriate as possible, as often as possible. Mm. But you know, things things change from day to day and week to week, and hopefully, um, we can continue to be involved as much as we can. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful to hear. Um, just a quick question on your your pre-orders versus your pre-sales. And here in Australia, I mean, we we dealt with a number of years under the Mattel Maddie Collector model, where you had to log on to a website. At funnily enough, it ended up being about two or three in the morning here. You'd face a red screen of death, and um, you'd struggle to get get the product. And, and 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 three out of four of us in the room collected that line pretty much. You know, every figure in that classics line. And um, so you know, we were we were pretty keen to, to get our hands on each each and every figure and not everything was in the sub so no not everything was you in still the had sub. to log back in um you guys have continued that that sort of subscription model where you lock in your your figures up front and they're produced to order and i love that i love that version that that works for me and and i know there'll be different views on that um but what we've seen from you guys as well is sometimes you you know you want to keep things interesting and spontaneous and you release a might be termed a, a pre-sale or basically an item that's already been manufactured. There's a certain quantity, and you'll release that online. Um, you know, something like the Epic Battles two pack, which was essentially the the He-Man, Shira, um, Skeletor, Hordak, but in that two pack packaging. So same figures, but different different packaging. There was a bit of, I guess, an outroar for the from the fans that do miss out when this product sort of comes out of out of nowhere how do you sort of balance this idea between being able to put out that fun and spontaneous, interesting stuff and keep things, you know, fresh, but also balancing how fans might react to missing out on some of that product? Uh, I think there's a couple different things to talk about there. I mean, obviously with the pre-order strategy for us, you know, one of those things is we, 
we want everybody to that wants a figure to be able to have the opportunity to get the figure. Um, the idea that you know you've only got 30 minutes to get it or something like that—that's uh, not a pleasant experience. But at the same time, as collectors, we all know that if you leave it on the shelf forever, no one wants it. Um, so what we try to do is basically say, okay, hey, you've got a month to buy the figures. That gives you plenty of time to get in, and then we're going to make just what was ordered. We're not going to make any extras. And so that the, the thing that, that struck me with the earlier iteration so much with Maddie is that they would overproduce so that they were available online because the idea was to be altruistic and the idea was to make it so that as a collector you could come in at any point and pick up some of the old figures which was really nice but what it ended up doing was now we have 2000 in the warehouse we've liquidated big lots and two years later the figure i paid 25 dollars for is on sale for 10 bucks um i'm, I'm very aware that if you're going to spend 35 dollars on a figure for me it better always be worth $35. Yeah. No, you know, and if it's worth more, great, but that's not necessarily it's imperative, not yeah. but it's nice if it's worth more, but it better hold its value. Yeah. Like, and uh, so, but you don't want to artificially limit how many get out there. So by making it an open pre-order, you know, there's plenty of time you you don't have to you know chase down uh, something log in at two in the morning just to get it, but uh, you have the opportunity to get the figure, and then by not making any extras, the secondary market will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. The secondary market will determine whether that figure is worth more than thirty five dollars or not. There's no stake for me in there, but I want to make sure that it's never worth less than thirty five dollars. Yeah. Uh, the second point about things like the two packs is when we made that, I mean, a lot of the outrage was that people thought they were never going to be able to buy yeah. a five and a half inch Skeletor yeah. or He-Man again. They thought they'd missed the opportunity. Mm -hmm. What we had done is obviously we were already working on the individually carded figures and we were like the old two packs as collectors were going, man, the two packs are so rare. They're so cool. The three packs actually. And I was like, it'd be really cool to make those, some of those, but the internal discussion literally was here. If we make that, how much blowback are you going to get from people going, oh man, you're just trying to milk me for another scam <laughs> package figures, just in a different package. Like you guys are totally trying to bleed me. So we were just like, look, the figure is not the important part. If you want the figure, you can buy it on card. It's a non-issue. It is a packaging variant for that kind of diehard collector guy. So how do we make it sort of special? And so what we did was when we did um, with the Epic Battles 2-pack, that was also when we were releasing Stridor. And uh, we just said, okay, hey, we're going to put them up. We're not going to necessarily tell anybody, but we're going to put up the 2-packs. And, and for those guys that are the diehard supporters of the brand, that the moment I open up the pre-order for Stridor, day one, they're on the website, I'm buying my Stridor, I'm not missing it out. Hey, here's a thank you, because you're the kind of guy that's going to be OCD enough to be like, I have to have the alternate package of the two-pack too. 
there's a way that we can do it and not feel like the average collector is obligated to buy it or feel like that we're milking them for extra money. Yeah. That was the thinking. Yes. How it blew up was it predated the individual carded figures, yeah. so then people lost their minds. That they did. Figure on card, uh, which was not the case. And I think that once we made the announcement that yes, you'll be able to get them on cards, it's no big deal. Most of that died down. There were still a fair amount of people that were annoyed that they couldn't get the uh, box set. But it's also one of those things that we just were looking at saying, hey, you know, this is going to be a small group of people that are really going to be the people that want that extra package. Um, the Los Amos was very similar where we went to unboxing in Mexico City two years ago. And you know, you can call it ignorance or whatever, but you know, I just haven't spent a lot of time in Mexico. And when you go down there, you realize that their priority of pop culture is very different than ours. Obviously, if you're in the States, Star Wars is number one. Transformers and Turtles are two and three. And Masters is somewhere around 19 or 20, you know? Yeah. Uh, behind Marvel, behind everything else. Yeah. And going to Mexico City, and what we didn't realize is that, you know, Turtles is number one, uh, Transformers is number two, but Masters of the Universe was like number four or five. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. And and you when you take a step back and you really think about in in sort of other travels that i've done especially through you know africa and the middle east and the far east and when you think about stuff you see coming out of mexico and south america every bootleg you've ever seen is that is based on that masters of the universe form factor that five and a half inch fully ripped form factor every bootleg under the sun is that style and what we didn't realize was that Masters has so much more cultural cachet, importance, however you want to define it, in Mexico than it does even in the States. And it means more to that customer. And we came back from unboxing that year saying, if we're going to come back next year, which we wanted to do, we really should do something special for that Mexican customer. Mm. And so in that case, the figure once again is the exact same figure, but like in Mexico, they were sold in boxes so that they would be harder for people to rip them off the card and steal them. <laughs> so, so we went back and we just repackaged the regular figure, but in the Los Amos Mexican boxes to mm-hmm. sell to the Mexican collector. You know, it's like, it's, it's, a thank you to them for supporting us, but also a nod to saying, hey, that the history of Masters of the Universe in Mexico is just as relevant yeah. to this toy line as the American history. Absolutely. And we want to And can I something. say they came out beautifully. I was one of the few people that was fortunate enough to actually get them when they, when they were on the Super 7 website, and they came out beautifully. And I'm not even Mexican, but I, I can appreciate... <laughs> The, the effort and the love and the care that went into recapturing that old school mix, Mexican packaging for that line and I think it was just a, a masterstroke. Yeah. No, they, they did yeah, look... It's one of those things that after the fact you sit there and go like, oh, that was a really smart move. And it was like, we weren't really thinking of it that way. <laughs> yep. We were just like, oh man, if we're coming back here next year, we totally got to do He-Man and Skeletor in boxes. Yeah. Like, we totally got to bring a Los Amos figure. Ah, that's beautiful. And, 
you know, so it's not a matter of us trying to, I don't know if it's a matter of, as you said, keep it fresh or find unexpected ways to surprise people. I'm not trying to necessarily surprise people, but how do you do those fun side projects that aren't for everyone without making it feel like everybody has to buy it? Mm. Yeah. Now, get understand the logic makes a, lot, makes a lot of sense and it's great to hear it articulated in that way. Um, look, the future's looking absolutely amazing. Do want to touch on New York because it was an epic reveal, I think, from Super 7. One thing we do here on Toy Power every every year, we do it for New York and we do it for San Diego, is we're all allowed one vote of the thing. We, we call it a shut up and take my money vote. And it's essentially we, we're able to play a clip of Fry. I don't know if uh, Frank's going to yeah. try and find it now. But we, we play that, that clip. And that denotes the one item or line from a con that we just are going to throw our money at regardless. No questions asked and we're going to purchase. And this year, for probably the first time ever, Super 7 got all our votes. Um, and interestingly, for different lines, I think I shouted out the vote for the placard. It was just the placard, but it was your placard for the new Ninja Turtles line. Um, Frank and Darren were all in on the William Stout collection and Ben shouted it out on Toxie. Toxie, yep. And I guess the, the love of that. But there was also some other wonderful product you had there. And really what you were looking to do was take what you're doing in Masters of the Universe Classics and continue that sort of six, seven inch line, but expand it into things like we talked about Toxic Crusaders, like we, we, we saw at the con with your Conan, your 1970s Conan figure. We also saw absolutely out of left field and sculpted again by the four horsemen but Ren and Stimpy Ren and Stimpy which yeah. look amazing yeah. and I love I love like the Stimpy's got a removable face plate and it's yeah, like different expressions it's, it's pretty much stuff. the whole figure yeah. is like a removable <laughs> part but look and that that stuff we, we saw that and it was just amazing I just wanted to get a gauge of sort of how excited you are and, and it is to be part of taking that beautiful classic style that the four horsemen sculpted and and put out and has been so popular and then taking that concept and moving it into other toy franchise license yeah i mean there's there's about six answers to those questions um the the simplest thing is that yeah we we're trying to make you know the stuff that we think would be fun to make and obviously the classics line is something that we've been doing for a little while classics and filmation and all that other stuff but it's like okay should it be limited to just Masters of the Universe? And I, I don't think so. I think we should try to expand it. What else would be appropriate? Conan was actually the first thing, and obviously that's the one that's already gone up for pre-order, but Conan was the very first one where it was like, oh man, that's the, 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 the slam dunk next place to go. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, uh, because, you know, Masters... Although it's downplayed and they don't talk about it too much on the documentary, <laughs> it's 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 a Conan knockoff, uh, and people will argue this, but uh, I'm trying to remember is it Conan the ah, the guy that wrote Conan when his estate auction was auctioned off like two years ago, I believe. Mm. In that there was paperwork where he had a canceled check from Mattel paying him off for not suing him over Masters of the Universe. Whoa. This might explain why that whole Wonder, Wonder Bread He-Man is such a, such an, <laughs> a mystery because all, yes. all the documents have been shredded. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, but 
you know, it was like, okay, let's go on to Conan. And then actually the very next thing that was in the line that we talked about was Toxie. We're just like, fuck it, let's make Toxie. Like, I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, it turned out so much better than I thought. Oh, it did. Uh, it I did. I, I never knew I needed a toxic, an update of Toxie in a classic style until I saw that picture. And now I, you can guarantee I am all in. I, <laughs> I cannot wait. You know, I was like, I was looking at my Toxic Crusaders and I definitely need Dr. Killamoff. I need Bonehead. And then I saw my um, Radiation Ranger. I'm like, oh my god, I'm 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 in trouble now because I need to <laughs> army build the hell out of that guy. So yeah, it's just yeah. the natural symmetry. I mean, when I think back to the the toy lines that I collected as a child, you know, Masters of the Universe and Turtles are two of the biggest. Mm. But you know, I followed up Turtles with Toxic Crusaders, and and for then to see Super Seven repeating that with with Master of the Universe, Turtles, and Toxic Crusade. This just feels like, you, you know, recapturing that, that childhood, mm. you know, um, in that seven-inch scale. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, for us, it, it was a matter of, like, I want to keep making these toys. I want to do more with this style. I think that I... So how do we, how do we expand the line in a way that is natural and organic if you will but at the same time like when you put a voltron in there or a ren and stimpy it's it definitely stretches like conan okay duh, i can see it toxie wow that really really works you know is are people going to look at that conan i mean that ren and stimpy or that voltron and say that's part of that line or not i don't know yeah. What? But, sorry, just on Voltron. What do you have plans? Do you do plans to do the row beasts and things, or uh, the pilots in a different scale? I just, I'm not sure what sort of way you're thinking, uh, or or just Voltron itself. What sort of, what have you got in mind potentially? Right, right now we haven't gotten any further than just the the, the robot itself. Yeah, uh, nice. Yeah. yeah, but which is awesome. I, I, that's a wicked looking Voltron, and uh, fingers crossed to get to um, the Lion Force Voltron and the Voltron uh, Two, I think it is, which is the three combiner robot mm-hmm. one. But I mean, if you just finish it off, you know, just with the one Lion Force, that's fine. I think it's fantastic, and to have the symmetry sitting on your shelf of all the same characters all in the same um uh, scale it's just something to uh be you know bewildered i love it i think it's fantastic so yeah well done yeah and yeah but it's the same thing like ren and stimpy you know they are correctly you know it's like should we have scaled them down more no i I just think they look i think they look awesome like they're going to be almost imposing on your shelf because they're larger than life at that scale i just think and the the amount of detail you're able to put in to the larger size uh, scale versus a three and three quarter figure i think you've um done the correct decision and boosted it up a notch uh to to capture all those details and things and and the fact that you've got a gritty kitty litter tray uh with that comes with stimpy <laughs> is just the icing on the cake like yeah yeah it's it, you know they they have a different there's a different point to that line than you know with the three and three quarter lines so i you know it's 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 fun for us and what's not lost on us right now especially is that you know much like you guys are sitting around on your podcast, I'm sure more than once sitting around going, okay, this is what I would make if I could. This is what I would do if I could. Mm. We're getting that opportunity and that's not something that typically happens. 
So as long as we can, we're going to run with it and make all the weird, obscure stuff that no one else is going to make. Uh, I mean, we just got, I don't know if you guys saw the, the Slayer figure we did not too long ago. Yep. yep, yep. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, who else is going to make Slayer? And it's like, <laughs> it's no one. Yeah, nice one. Okay, just wrapping it up, uh, sort of final question. Uh, so you, we know you're a big fan of the Japanese monster toys of the 60s and 70s due to the off-the-wall concepts conveying uh, and such. Uh, what else do you actively collect toy-wise? Do you, are you more of a, a, you know, just centric on those older sort of toys or do you collect any modern toy lines or what sort of, what does Brian Flynn collect uh, on a day-to-day basis if, if money oh. permits, obviously? My my wife is. Oh, I hate all of these answers. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I I started collecting toys again in 1991, uh, and the first things I wanted was I wanted my Star Wars figures again. Yeah. And so I went to flea markets to buy Star Wars figures, and at the same time I started you know what's what's at the toy store, and I would be buying you know, uh, Toxic Crusaders and Beetlejuice and all that other stuff. Uh, so usually it comes back down in the beginning to Star Wars and what you had as a kid. So Star Wars was it, Shogun Warriors, all that other stuff. But, I mean, the reality is in 1991, the toy magazines were just starting. I think Tomart started in late 90 or AFN started in late 90. And at that time, if you go back and look at them, like, It'll be the most valuable Star Wars action figure is Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> <laughs> and it's twenty dollars. You know, it's just. But I completed that that toy line by like ninety three, and so then it was, you know, we didn't know about all the variants, and no one cared about country of origins or you know different country manufacturers or anything. none of that was known. It was just sort of like, oh, there's two heads to Han Solo. That was about as deep as you got. Um, so then I was buying Shogun Warriors and different other Japanese toys. And then uh, because I moved to the West Coast of the States in 95, the West Coast got a lot of Japanese imports. Uh, they brought over a lot of TV shows for cable access and they brought over vinyls from the seventies. And at one point I lucked into a collection of about 30 Japanese vinyl figures, uh, especially monster figures. And I didn't know what they were. And if you're really talking about most of the tokusatsu villains, they're, they're really, really abstract and, they're not trying to be something that they're not. Mm. So it, the way I always have to describe it is if you're even talking about Star Wars, the villains are all still basically humans. They all have two arms, two legs. Yeah. Sometimes they might have four arms. Sometimes they might have like a weird shaped head, but they're still basically human shaped. Mm. Uh, and then you get to Japan and it's just like, okay, this is a Nazu man. He's a guy that turns into a moth, but he's got to go through a cocoon stage, and later on, he's going to fight a severed hand. <laughs> of course, why not? Like... <laughs> or it's KGK, and it's like, okay, this is a locker that sprouts legs and fights. <laughs> and you know, the the fact that the willing suspension of disbelief mixed with the just here, like will turn anything into something and it has to make no sense like iconic monsters like Canagon I mean that's it's a coin purse 
turned into a monster. <laughs> and so I would look at these things with no frame of reference. And then they've taken these character designs and they've sculpted them cute for kids and made them in bright colors. And you're like, this is the most screwed up toy I have ever seen in my life. How do I find more of these? <laughs> yeah. Neither. And so, so to, to a great degree, I collecting the vintage toys at that time, I had, you know, I had finished Star Wars, I had finished Tron, Clash of the Titans. You know, you know, there's five or six toys in most of these lines. There, there's not. You can pick them all up, and when no one cares about them, and they're two dollars each, you know, mm. you can get done pretty quickly. With the Japanese vinyl, it was something I had no frame of reference for. I they were hard to find, and there's no quality control. So, like, <laughs> generally speaking, like if you find a Skeletor, Skeletor always looks like Skeletor. Unless you're going to buy a Leo Skeletor or something like that. You know, there's a couple changes, but they're fairly minor. In Japan, with the vinyls, it was the exact opposite. You run out of blue plastic, use red. <laughs> you run out of red paint, use green. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I would go there and I would just keep finding all these weird... It's like, I have this toy, but it's in yet a different color again and again and again. And I just bought that stuff for years because... If you were a serious Japanese toy collector and you were older, you bought tin. If you were a new Jack, you bought die cast and vinyl was the garbage. Yeah. So I go over there, buy vinyl figures for 10 and $20 each. And I would go into shops. And I actually had this happen in a shop that I went into fairly regularly. I would go in and they would just have bins of vinyls on the floor hmm. and I would buy 10, 20 at a time. And like my third or fourth trip in, to this one shop, the guy kind of pulled me aside and in broken English said, look, you're spending enough money. Quit buying the junk. <laughs> Let me, here's a nice GA01 Mazinger Popey die cast. This is what you need to be spending your money on. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not that interested in this. I'm interested in these weird monsters that I, I don't have a frame of reference for that I can react to just on an aesthetic level. Yep. So. That was always interesting to me, but along the way, like I still buy modern toys here and you know here and there on you know what interests me. Like every time, you know, Hasbro puts out another goddamn Star Wars wave with a black <laughs> card with the silver border around the card, I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter that it's this stupid, I don't even know what to call you know, I, I want to call him Emperor Part 2 from, you know, this last, oh, last Star Wars yeah. movie, yeah. but it's just like, yeah, I'm going to buy one because <laughs> at the black border, I can't not buy it. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot of cool stuff being made out there, and the quality level of toys has never been higher. Yep, yep. I agree. Uh, so there's just there's more opportunity, I think, than than there is budget. But uh, I try to buy. I don't know. I say I try to buy. It's like I buy a little bit of everything. Like That's I thought awesome. that Ashley Woods take on Iron Man for three A was amazing. Mm. You know? I thought that was really cool. I'm like I'm. This is the only time where something as interpretive as that is ever going to be able to get made. Yeah. Like. I need one of 
much. Yeah. That's cool. Very nice. We're conscious of the time and, and we want to send you off to your, your drinks and, and that being a Friday night over there. I do want to just end this episode is airing on the 31st of March. It will be early over there in the States. It is the last day to get on and pre-order your William Stout collection. You get Skeletor, you get He-Man, God Skeletor and the movie accurate colours of Karg with the new hook. So if you haven't got that, I know orders generally for you probably, Brian, they'll spike on the first day and on the last day. So get in and place place your order for that because we're probably never going to see movie figures again once uh, <laughs> once the license goes back to Mattel. Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Toy Power. We are so thankful for you making the time out of your day to come on and chat toys with us and, and we loved every minute of it. Thank you so much, Brian. Please come back, Brian. I've just got to say that anytime <laughs> that you're able to come back, we would love to have you back. If you ever want to talk... Um, Turtles after San Diego Comic Con or, oh, yeah. or Masters of the Universe or Toxic Crusaders <laughs> or anything else. Uh, oh, you're going to love, love what we've got planned for San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, look, Frank's just about to explode. So. <laughs> he, he can't, can't so contain good. himself. Yeah. None of us can. <laughs> yeah. So good. I get, I get the idea that there might be a Beetlejuice uh, surprise <laughs> or something. Yeah, Bring it just, on! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've tried to get that. We don't have that. Yet. Yeah. Right. Oh. Warner Brothers won't play ball. <laughs> What's that? Warner Brothers aren't playing ball with that license. Uh, Warner Brothers has just been difficult in general. <laughs> they okay. Well, there goes my um, begging you for a um, DC um, movie, um, movie accurate Batman in the seven inch scale. I guess that door's closed. <laughs> Uh, well, that, that, I've had a bunch of people ask about stuff like that, and it's just like, look, it's like asking about DC, asking about Marvel, asking about Star Wars, or asking about WWE. It's like that's like screaming at a wall. Yeah. <laughs> like those those four things have guarantees and master toy contracts yeah. the likes of which. I, I will probably never be able to touch. Hopefully at some point we will be able to work with some of those people, but those are those are like $100 million brands. Yeah, no, maybe not. even a seven inch um, superpower style, you know, keep it retro. <laughs> you never know. The, the idea <laughs> a guy can dream. To be even able to make something that could even be remotely considered a toy from those four licenses would be a coup for any company. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. The only workaround that really exists is 12-inch highly detailed figures yeah. that cost uh, more than like uh, $100. And that's that's the realm of sideshow, yeah. hot toys, yeah. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And you know, we're not going to do that no, kind of stuff. No. So that's the only real carve-out that exists. Yeah. But other than that, like, you know, we've had plenty of conversations where we've pitched things about that, and they're just like, "Yeah, we're never going to give you <laughs> something that would theoretically compete with what we do." Yeah, yeah sure. and, and there's so much stuff, oh, like you said, new, new um, com- San Diego Comic Con's coming up, and and there'll be if if your track record for what you put out at New York is any sign, and with the Turtles license and and some of the other classic style figures. I think you're right. We are going to be absolutely blown away, and you can probably have a few more of those. Shut up and take my money. Uh, little jingles coming your way on that episode. <laughs> Guaranteed from yeah. Toy Power. Yeah, I sure. think so. Yeah. So, yeah. thank thank you so much, Brian. On that note, oh, we, yeah. we sorry. Th- thank you, thank you so much, Brian. 
and we will wrap this episode of Toy Power. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Thanks, guys, for mixing up the schedule to, to accommodate Brian. That was great. And we will see you around the toy aisles. And until next time, good journey. You can find the Toy Power team at all the usual online places. Facebook.com slash Toy Power Podcast. At Toy Power Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Or have your say and email us, toypowerpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on both iTunes and Stitcher, and please leave us a review. Otherwise, we just assume we're awesome. We are a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network. Check out all the awesome shows on this awesome network full of okay people. Want to learn more? Go to giantsizeteamup.com, where you can find us and a whole lot more awesome shows. Well, they're not more awesome than us, but good. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh.